questions if they, uh, if they so desire. Brilliant. Well, we're continuing this morning our little mini-series following on from the word that Sally spoke about three weeks ago, at Dig for Victory, and, uh, and she talked about uh, three ditches to dig, which is essentially about kind of preparing ourselves for what God wants to do. And last week, Ben spoke about uh, discipleship, and this week, I want to talk about dedication. And Sally talked about dedication as being consistent action. And I feel a bit like um, what Karis shared this morning has, has kind of suitably, you know, pitched the ball up ready for me to hit it home, because I want to talk about one particular point of dedication, and that's about endurance and how we endure when we're in difficult, challenging circumstances, when we're waiting for God to do what we know he's going to do, how do we endure? What is our attitude? What is our approach that helps us in that? And uh, when I looked at the word endurance in the dictionary, it talked about the ability to endure an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way, the capacity of something to last or withstand wear and tear, has to do with patience, pain, stamina, withstanding adversary. And it's a really important characteristic of the life of disciples. Let me just give you two Bible verses that speak about why this is important. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 16 and verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said, in this world, we will have trouble. So, uh, and he said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So how do we endure when we face those troubles? And Paul, in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So there is a positive aspect to endurance. It produces positive, good character in our lives. And it's really important. Clive has sometimes used the illustration of the Christian life, like being running up the escalator, which is on its way down. Or, you know, we can talk about it as swimming against the tide or kind of living in a world that's kind of going in an opposite direction. And whatever metaphor we choose, endurance is going to be an important thing that we can learn and exhibit as we live the Christian life. I'm going to look at uh, three verses written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and it's going to come from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 8 to 10, and the words should appear on the screen. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul talks about how he endures everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of preaching the gospel, for the sake of those whom God is calling to salvation. Paul says, I endure everything. And Paul is a man who is most definitely qualified to speak on this subject of endurance. If you just look at the book of Acts, you can go through the book of Acts and you can kind of see 
all the things that Paul faced. Let me give you some. So from Acts 9 all the way through to 28, we read about how Paul's life was threatened in Damascus. His life was threatened in Jerusalem. He was persecuted and run out of Antioch. He faced a possible stoning at Iconium. He was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. He was beaten with rods and imprisoned at Philippi. He was cast out of Philippi. His life was threatened in Thessalonica. He was forced out of Berea. He was mocked in Athens, taken before the judgment seat in Corinth, opposed in Ephesus, plotted against by the Jews in Greece, apprehended by the mob in Jerusalem, arrested and detained by the Romans, barely escaped being scourged, rescued from the Sanhedrin. There was an assassination plot against him. There was a two-year imprisonment in Caesarea. He was shipwrecked on Malta. He suffered snakebite. And then just at the end of Acts 28, he's imprisoned in Rome. This is Paul. This is a man who faced endurance. And I think it would be more than understandable if Paul got to the point and just said, you know what? I think I've had enough. You know, don't get me wrong. I love the Lord, but please come on. You know, this, or kind of, this is clearly not God's best for my life. This is not God's call. I'm, I'm clearly shouldn't be. I'm the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time. It would be really understandable, wouldn't it, if Paul, facing all of those things, thought, no, no. Do you know, I just need to go away and, and have a little retreat and work out what God wants me to do. Maybe God's calling me to work in a library or something like that. You know, you can understand if Paul kind of had that attitude. But he doesn't, does he? Paul's attitude is, bring it on. Come on. God has called me to do this, and I am going to endure everything. I'm going to put up with whatever is thrown at me for the sake of the people that God is choosing. And I think it's, it's kind of tempting to, to look at this attitude of Paul and say, well, yeah, that's Paul. He's not really normal, is he? Well, you know, don't get me wrong, but you don't meet many people like the Apostle Paul, do you? Who, who can just continue to take on this opposition and this persecution and this oppression and to keep going. He's, he's not normal. There's not many people like Paul. But actually, I think in the words we read here in 2 Timothy and in the attitude of him, actually, whatever our temperament, however much we might like you know, this sort of discipline of, of life and facing hardship, actually we can all learn to endure. And so we're going to look at these three verses here that Paul wrote, by the way, when he was in prison. Um, so I want to consider three points this morning. In a, in a little while, I'm going to look in verse 9 at the power of the message, then verse 10 and the potential of the mission. But first, I want to look at verse 8 and the purpose of the Messiah. Because Paul says in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. Before we get into this, let me pray. And we haven't prayed yet this morning, so let's do that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it holds out life to us. We thank you that it sustains us. We thank you it directs us. It gives us hope, Lord. And even when we're not aware of it, your word is at work in our lives, producing fruit, producing change, Lord, we thank you for the way that you've already been speaking to us this morning, Lord God, and just lifting our gaze from our situations and our circumstances to this God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, to this God for whom nothing is impossible, to this God who has all power and all authority. 
And this morning, Lord, we thank you that you have lifted our sights. And we pray as we continue to look at your word that you would speak to us. And Lord, we pray this morning you would change our thinking and change our behaving in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first thing is about the purpose of the Messiah. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from uh, David. So the first way in which we endure is remember Jesus. And on the one hand, you know, we could take this just as, well, kind of remember Jesus and who he is and what he did, you know, in the same sort of sense that you read about in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews encourages us to run with perseverance the race marked out with us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. So there is this sense of remember Jesus, remember what he did, remember who he is, and that helps us. But I think there's more to it than that in what Paul is saying. As he talks about the Jesus who was raised from the dead and descended from David. And I don't think he's just clarifying which Jesus he's talking about. You know, it's not Jesus the baker. It's not Jesus the jeweler. He's talking about, you know, this Jesus. But for me, it's a reminder of how central Jesus is to the whole of human history. It's about Jesus being right in the center. So right from the start of time, you know, you've got the creation of the world and you've got the, you know, the patriarchs and you've got the prophets and you've got David. And they're all, the whole of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, slap bang in the center, dividing time and history. Literally, he does, doesn't he? And if Jesus is raised from the dead, so all of the past is pointing to him, but Jesus determines the future of, you know, redeemed humanity. The the resurrection changes everything. It means that that people's hope can be in something. It means people's future can look different. This Jesus divides time and history, and it's all about him. So it's not just about remember Jesus and what he did and who he is but to to kind of lift our gaze and get this perspective, this bigger picture of time and history. This Jesus, you know, the past is pointing to him and the future is determined by him. And he is slap bang in the middle. He is present for us today. This Jesus, you know, who was involved in the creation of the world, who the, the, you know, the patriarchs looked forward to, who, who David spoke about and sang about, who the prophets, you know, predicted hundreds of years before he was born. This Jesus is at the center of time and history. You are part of something bigger, greater, altogether more significant than this present life of you know, challenge or struggle that we might face. This Jesus stopped the unstoppable conveyor belt of death. This Jesus broke the unbreakable hold of sin on our lives. This Jesus broke death. Remember this Jesus, Paul says to Timothy. This is the bigger picture. This is the story that you are part of. You know, don't get sucked into believing that your story is just, you know, you're born, you live a fairly mediocre life of little substance, you die, some people miss you. You know, that's not your story. You know, you face some hardships, say, Levi, that's not our story. That is a a lie of, you know, monumental proportions. That is a, a whopper of destructive power. You know, that's not our story. 
Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. That's our story. And so personally, you know what, naturally, I I wouldn't say that I was an optimistic person. Before I was a Christian, I didn't really consider myself to be an optimistic person. But my attitude generally is, do you know what? God will come through. I would say that my, you know, since becoming a Christian, I have become incredibly you know, optimistic because God's on the throne, because Jesus reigns and he rules, and I know that he's going to work out his purposes in my life. In the midst of uncertainty, I know God will bring about the best result. So how do we endure? We remember the purpose of the Messiah. And because, remember, we're not just talking about difficult things here that, you know, the sort of hardships of life. We're talking about the challenges that when following Jesus becomes difficult, when, when we're opposed, when we're following Jesus. How do we endure? We're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to do good and we're facing opposition. How do we endure? Well, we remember him for whom we are enduring this, why we're doing it. And, you know, I don't think this is just about situations and circumstances Either, you know, it could just be about, oh, um, how do I kind of endure when I'm not getting life out of the Word or I'm finding it hard to connect with God in prayer or I'm not enjoying the worship. We remember why we are doing it, that this moment, this challenge is part of something bigger. It's part of a collage that paints a picture that points towards Jesus, the King who is on the throne. And I know some people maybe find it easier to have perspective than others. But actually, the fact that the Word of God tells us to take our thoughts captive means this is possible for all of us. I want to show you a couple of pictures. I don't know whether you've seen in the news this week, there was a story. I wonder, can we have the first picture? There was a story in the news. Somebody just wake Jared up at the back there. No, there we go. Brilliant. I wonder whether anybody saw the, uh, the news this week. There was this story from... Uh, hackney of um, these workmen who claim they found a four-foot rat. You know, they said it was bigger than a dog, it was huge, it was enormous. And to, to, to prove it, here was this picture of this workman holding up this enormous rat. And this kind of generated all these kind of concerns and people, you know, say, oh no, what's, what's going on? Hackney Council, can you do something? And, uh, and Hackney Council issued a tweet to, uh, to point out that maybe that this rat wasn't as big as people were thinking. I wonder if can we see the next one. So this is Hackney Council's kind of pest officer holding a tiny, teeny little um, toy here and showing that actually if you hold it right up to the camera, it looks an awful lot bigger. Perspective makes a difference. When we can view our situations and our circumstances with the benefit of perspective and say, actually, that's not enormous. It's just close up. You know, that we can see that actually we're part of something bigger and Jesus is at the center of it. That helps us endure. So that's the first thing, to remember Jesus. The second, let's move on to verse 9, which talks about the power of the message. Paul says, this is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Excuse me while I take a drink. God's word is not chained. You know, there's a sermon all by itself in there, isn't there? You know, in this kind of postmodern, neoliberal, you know, socially egalitarian uh, world that we live in that says you can't write that and you can't say that and you can't think that, that we can say God's word 
is not chained. But that's not the words for this morning. But it reminds us of significant help in enduring is to remember the power of the message. It says in Romans 1 verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believes. And, uh, and you know, Paul's context here in terms of endurance was obviously mission and about preaching the gospel and facing opposition in preaching that gospel. Um, but it's kind of like he knows that whatever things look like on the surface, God's word is at work. God's word is at work. It's kind of like the opposite of sometimes when you have a, there's a problem. You know, it might be that you're in your house and everything looks fine on the surface, but underneath your floorboards are rotting or there's, you know, this kind of drip and that one day it's just, or maybe, you know, people get ill, don't they? And you don't actually, you know, hear stories of people who don't realize they're ill. Everything looks fine on the surface, but underneath something's at work in their body. And this is like the, the opposite. This is like the positive of that, that things can look hard on the surface, but underneath it, the power of God is at work. And so you talk to people and you maybe think, oh, there's, there's nothing going on here. Maybe you share the gospel with somebody and you think, oh, they're not interested. They show, you know, their life looks okay. They're sort of glazed over. But underneath, God's work is at work in their lives and bringing about faith and fruit. You know, it's true in our own lives as well, that sometimes things can seem, you know, one way, but actually God's word is at work and is bringing about fruit. It says in Jeremiah 23, verse 29, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? The Bible is not chained. It's not squashed by circumstances. It's not changed by our situations. It doesn't bow the knee to our problems. It accomplishes God's purpose. That's why we spent so much time at the start of this year re-emphasizing the importance of reading the Bible and connecting with God through his word. You know, there's all sorts of things that we can endure. And when we remember and bring God's word alongside it, you know, it's, it's so powerful. You know, maybe you've made some kind of tough financial choices. You know, we made some financial choices this year. And, you know, on the one hand, you think, oh, that's a big step. But actually, we just know that God will provide. You know, his word tells us, you know, you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. You know, God provides all of those sorts of things. You know, we've um, talking the other night with uh, some people, you know, we've, we've sort of chosen to educate our children differently some of us have chosen to educate our children differently by home educating them, not sending them to school, giving them a different experience. And sometimes you can kind of think, oh, well, you know, we're doing the right thing and, you know, they're going to miss out and stuff like that. And in the face of those, we remember the word of God that says God honors those who honor him. Yeah, that God is faithful in those situations. That It's in God that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. You know, uh, some of us probably face difficult times at work or at college or maybe among housemates or family because we've chosen to follow Jesus and we've chosen to, to speak up about that. And in the midst of that challenges, God's word says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Maybe some of us are just kind of feeling a bit tired doing the right thing and kind of burdened or weary through that kind of ongoing endurance. And in the face of that, the word of God says that his energy works powerfully within me. It says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. Every one of God's promises, like 
Thomas said, every one of God's many promises is yes in Christ. And so we say, amen to that. We need to read the word. We need to learn it. We need to confess it and watch it do its thing. So that's the second way that we endure, the power of the message. And then the third thing, verse 10, the potential of the mission. Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So like I said before, in Paul's immediate context, he was being opposed for preaching the gospel. And, and so he chose to focus on why he was doing it. He wasn't doing it because he thought, oh, this is a cushy number. This is an easy life, clearly. You know, this is going to get me my fame and fortune. I'm going to be a gospel preacher. He recognized he was part of God's purposes in bringing salvation to people. He could see the darkness and the tragedy of the lost, but he could see the life and glory of the potential for the redeemed. He could see the prize of the mission, the potential of the mission. And in mission, that really should drive us on in terms of preaching the gospel and wanting to see people come to faith, that potential of people leaving a life of darkness and coming to know Jesus. It's incredible, isn't it? And I think different people are motivated in different ways by that. You know, some people, they dream of the stadium, they dream of St. James's Park, you know, full of 52,000 people who, you know, currently I'm walking with the Lord. And that, that scale of people whose lives are transformed, that motivates people, doesn't it? Some people are motivated just by, you know, the, the, they want their Auntie Flory to become a Christian. Do you know what I mean? And that's fine. You know, it works for different people. people are, some people are motivated by the individual. Some people are motivated by the, you know, the, the scale of it. Um, I find one of the most kind of uh, depressing and motivating things at the same time, just walking through Eldon Square. Sometimes, you know, I take a lunch break and I just walk through Eldon Square and I look at the people walking by, just so devoid of life, you know, so lacking in joy and hope. And it's so depressing and it's so, oh, but Lord, there is an answer. You know, I was at a conference recently talking about um, kind of very situation, and there was just this sort of sense of, of a kind of hopelessness of people. You know, we have to manage these people, to lock these people up, have to, you know, do this, um, because there's no kind of concept of people can change. And I was just thinking, oh, God, you know, what, what has happened to these people that's got them in this situation? And, you know, I know what they need. They need salvation. People can change. You know, there is potential in the mission. You know, the, the, there is hope, isn't there? There is a prize. And not just in mission, it's the bigger picture, the purpose of our lives, to glorify God. God wants the glory from our lives. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, whatever we're going through right now, whether it's, uh, you know, depression or sickness or loneliness or just kind of wanting what God has for me now, what keeps us going? What keeps us going is, is knowing, not just hoping, but knowing that God will be glorified in this situation. Like we've already heard this morning. You know, that's the bigger picture. This is about God being glorified in my life and in my situation and in my circumstances. God be receiving recognition for who he is and what he does. People saying, what an awesome God. When, people, when we kind of come through the challenging situation, people say, what an awesome God. I remember... Uh, a number of years ago, my, uh, my kind of contract at work was due to expire. And I think on the 31st of March, and I think on the 30th of March, you know, we kind of got, got agreement that, yeah, yeah, we've got some funding for another year, uh, which is great. And my boss was just like, 
I cannot understand you. I can't understand how you haven't been anxious about this. I can't understand about how you've just been calm and just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, well, God's got it in control. You know, my future is not dependent on, you know, government grants or on decisions of, you know, offices in the council or anything like that. My future is dependent on God. He is on the throne and he will be glorified through those situations and through those. We remember the bigger picture, the potential of the mission. I love when you, you kind of see this sort of thing in, in David sometimes, uh, where he, Psalm 13 is a great example of this, where he's so aware of the challenges and the situation, and it's just, oh, I'm surrounded by my energies, and this is really difficult, and this is really hard. And then frequently he just concludes, so the end of Psalm 13, he says, after all this kind of, oh, it's terrible, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully 